We have just read it, and we have just sung, Father, of the magnificence of your mercy and grace towards us. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? He is my joy. He is my righteousness. He is my freedom. To this I hold. My only hope is Jesus. All the glory evermore to Him. It's all about Him. As we saw just a few weeks ago, all glory is from You and through You and to You. Everything we have, everything we have physically, everything we have spiritually, is entirely of Your doing. And it is entirely for the exaltation of Your great name. We say that a lot. We, we ask the question, what's the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to love God and to glorify Him forever. But Father, we wrestle with that. Truth be told, every day there are circumstances in our lives in which we are tempted to say, the chief end of man is to glorify ourselves and to live for us and to love us. That's our wrestling. That's where our flesh takes us. And it is a dead end. Oh, Father, would you, would you transform us this morning as only you're able? Would you fix in our minds the greatness of the glory of Christ? to make Him to be our great satisfaction, to fix our minds on Him alone so that He gets all of our glory and honor so that we are satisfied in Him. Would you change us, Father? We ask that regularly at this point in the service. But we understand because of who you are, that You really can change us. Might that be our confident expectation this morning? And Father, would You be so pleased as to even do something in our worship this morning that would be life-altering for us? I need that. We need that. We pray these things, Father, in Christ's great name. Amen. If you know me, and many of you know me well, what I'm about to say is no surprise to you. If you don't know me very well, let's just call this a little bit of self-revelation. I don't like change. I like regular. I thrive on routine. Sameness is my friend. And that means over the years, Regine and I have had some interesting conversations that go something like this. Terry, what do you mean you want to change the fill in the blank? Paint, wallpaper, arrangement in the room. 
It's been that way only for 18 or 20 years now. Why are you changing it already? To which she says, exactly, it's time to change. You can pretty much set your clock as to where I am on a given day. If it's five five minutes after six on Monday morning, I'm about five to eight minutes into my run. And by the way, I run the same route every Monday morning, every Thursday morning. I go the same place. I park in the very same spot every time I go. And if there's somebody that happens to be in that spot like once every four or five months, I'm really just a little bit irked that they're in my spot. If it's Saturday at 2 o'clock, I'm talking to my dad. If it's Saturday at 7.30, I'm getting out my clothes for Sunday morning. Keith asked me a couple of weeks ago, he says, So, on Saturday night, do you still get out all of your clothes for Sunday morning? I said, Yep, been doing that for 30 years. He said, I thought so. (laughs) If it's Sunday night in, uh, let's see, eight hours from right now, you can set your clock. Regine is going to be finishing up doing some cleaning at the house. I'm going to be going to the kitchen and I'm going to be pulling out the popcorn. I'm going to pull out the whirly pop. We're going to make some stove top. You're nodding. She knows the greatness of whirly pop popcorn. I'm going to make some whirly pop popcorn. I'm going to season it the same way I always season it. And at eight o'clock, we're going to sit down and watch a movie. I like sameness. I come from a long line of people who don't like change. And maybe you're like me, or maybe you're like my wife, and you just don't have a clue about what that kind of life would look like. But if you're like me, I have some hard news for you and for me this morning. And that is that we have been recreated by God in Christ Jesus to be changed. He does not want us staying the same. We need to change We have to change. We have been called as believers in Christ to change. Change is necessary for the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul transitions in the book of Romans from teaching theology in chapters 1 to 11 to applying everything that he's taught in chapters 12 to 16, the first thing he does in Romans chapter 12 is to state that obedience and sacrifice is the only appropriate response to God's merciful work in our lives. That's what we looked at last week in verse 1 of chapter 12. And then building on that idea, he also commands us to be transformed and changed spiritually. That's verse 2 that we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to summarize it this way, Romans 12, 2. Because God is merciful, that's picking up one idea from verse 1, let God transform the practices of your life. Because you have received so much grace and mercy from God in your salvation, God says that ought to be transformative in your life. That ought to change your life. That ought to change the very fundamental ways that you think and act and function. And in this verse that is very well known to you, Paul reveals three characteristics of biblical transformation. Three Three characteristics in which we see what biblical transformation looks like. As we think about what it means to live a transformed life, what does that look like? Well, Paul will reveal the first characteristic in the first part of the verse. 
And that is, first of all, there is an obstacle to transformation. There is an obstacle to transformation. Now, you know this verse well, and the whole verse is centered around this idea of being transformed and changed. But before Paul addresses that topic, he warns about a danger that every believer needs to avoid, must avoid. Notice what he says, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. The world is our obstacle. Now notice when he starts that verse, the first word is, and. He is directly connecting verse 2 to verse 1. So he has told us in verse 1, you are to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. And that presentation is a means of spiritual worship, or it is a rational or a reasonable response of worship to what you have received in God's mercy. What does that look like, Paul? And do not be conformed. In other words, one means of presenting our bodies to God and one means of rational, logical, reasonable worship, spiritual worship, is not to be conformed to the world. And this is what... This, this is, this is what God, this is what Paul would call us to do in light of our spiritual transformation. And in this verse, he will give us something to avoid, that's do not be conformed, and then something to do, and that is be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Or when he says, do not be conformed, that command has the idea of being molded, or following a pattern. That word is actually even used for masquerading as something that one is not. That's helpful. Because Paul is saying, in your confirmation, you are masquerading. If you're being conformed to the world, you're masquerading as something that you're not. In Christ, this is Romans 5 to 8, isn't it? In Christ, God has made you a new creature. He's done new things in you. You have a new identity. You are a new person. You have been transformed from the inside out. And when, and when we play the fool and are conformed to the world, he says, you're masquerading as something that you are not. And Paul says, don't be conformed or to be vigilant to fight worldly kind of confirmation and thinking. Notice also that that verb, do not be conformed, is a present tense. And, and generally, when the apostle or any New Testament writer uses a present tense imperative with a negative, it has the sense of, stop it. Stop doing this. Don't do this anymore. You're already doing it. Stop it. It's, it's the command that you give your two-year-old. Or your two-year-old grandchild when your grandkids are to the house. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Don't put your hand in there. Don't touch that. Put that back. Put that down. Stop. That's the force. Now think about the Roman church and think about how Paul thinks about them. Paul's already told us in chapter 1, right at the beginning of the letter, verse 8, he says, your testimony of faith has gone out through the whole world. And so Paul has a very high view of the church that is in Rome. So I don't think that Paul necessarily here is saying stop it, but he is warning them. Oh, brothers, this is a danger. You can end up here. 
You can be tempted by this and don't ever allow yourself to go into this pattern of thinking. Don't ever allow yourself to be taken by this lifestyle. We should also note that when Paul uses a negative, don't do this, he is suggesting that this is a very real possibility. It is very possible that some might grab onto the world and follow after the world even though they are in Christ. And Paul is saying, do not ignore the reality of the possibility. The world is out there. Be on guard. Watch out. The word be conformed is also a passive, which means something like, don't allow this to happen to you. Don't allow yourself to be molded. In other words, there is pressure all around you to conform you away from Christ and to the world. Be aware of that reality. Don't let that happen to you. Like, like a submarine that's in the depths of the ocean and it is surrounded by water and every molecule of water is putting pressure on that, on that hull of the submarine. In the same way, the believer that's living in this world has constant pressure to move him away from Christ and to the world. It's a real possibility. You leave outside these doors and you will face it almost immediately. And Paul says, be aware. It's out there. Watch out. What is the force that is putting pressure on us, notice what he says, do not be conformed to this world. It's the world that's putting force on us. Now, here we might expect Paul to use the word cosmos. That's the typical word that he might use for world. That's not what he says. If we're going to translate it most precisely, we might translate it this age. This, this time and place in history. It, it parallels the word world, but it has a different emphasis. It's rather than connoting all the particular pressures, it's connoting you live in this place now and you have been saved for a different age, a different place. Don't follow after the things that are of this age when you are made for the eternal age. This age is not lasting. The age for which you were recreated in Christ is the only thing that will last and put your hopes there and put your confidence there. What are the pressures of this age that seek to conform us to anti-Christ ways? In short, The pressures of this age come from the world, the flesh, and the devil. They come from the flesh. That's internal to me. And that's internal to you. So we are created as new men in Christ. We have a new identity. But we still are carrying as if it were a massive backpack of the flesh that is hanging on to us that still has not yet been fully redeemed and will not be until we get to glory. And every single day we're fighting against the weight 
that is internal to us. We, we saw that in chapter 7. I do the thing that I don't want to do, and I don't do the thing that I do want to do. Paul will expand that idea of the flesh as well in Galatians chapter 5. He says in verse 13, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, serve one another. In other words, you, you, you will feel tempted to indulge the flesh and call it freedom. Don't do it. It's a trap. It's a snare. You will find no freedom there. You will find no lasting joy. You will find nothing that will satisfy you ultimately. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Paul says there's something in this world that is still internal in you. In this age, while we live in this age, while we have not yet been fully redeemed, we will fight that flesh every single day. Now, brothers and sisters, be aware that that flesh one day is going to gloriously die, right? You're allowed to say amen. But until that day, It's going to entice us. It's going to offer hopes and dreams. It's going to make promises that it can't fulfill. But it says it will satisfy you. Paul says that's this age. Oh brother, keep looking at another age. There are not only internal pressures in this age, but there are external pressures as well. There is the world and there is the devil. The world puts pressure on us by attempting to conform us to its way of thinking. We find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, perhaps the clearest section on that topic. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We're destroying speculations. That's, that's apologetic ideas. Those are ideologies. That's, that's where the battle for the mind in the believer is fought. It's at an ideological level that the world is trying to force its way of thinking on us. And as the world form puts its plate way of thinking on us, we are conformed to doing the kinds of things that people in the world do. And that's a masquerade. That's not who we are. That's not what we are created to do. And the entire world system is under the domination of the evil one who is seeking to entice us and to devour us. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. He wants to devour us. To put us away spiritually. And we, we feel the weight of these pressures every day, or or we should. 
it all seems like a really good idea at the time. We, we hear this ideology. We see this temptation come back or come by us. And we say, that, that looks okay. That looks reasonable. That's not going to harm me. It's just me. It's okay. Yesterday, Ray Jean and Elizabeth and I went to Dinosaur Valley State Park and we hiked a long way. And it wasn't super hot, but it was around 90 by the time we finished. And, and I'll admit, I, I, I sweated a little bit. And we finished and we all looked at each other. It's about one o'clock and we said, oh, I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm hungry too. Let's go get something to eat. My banana and yogurt this morning are long gone. Let's go eat. So we went to get something to eat. And the girls looked at each other and said, how about some pie? And so we looked up the pie shop in Glen Rose and said, they're open. Let's go get pie. And we found that you could buy a slice of pie for $4.50. Or... You could get an entire pie for $22. So I did the math, and we saved the price of an entire slice by buying a pie. And they would make a custom pie. So I could have chocolate and raspberry rhubarb, and somebody else could have their own choices, and we'd get a unique pie of all the flavors that we wanted. And so we sat there and ate our piece of pie. And there were three pieces left. And we said, well, there are three pieces left. And we worked hard this morning. Why not? And so we ate a second piece of pie. It seemed like a brilliant idea. I mean, seriously, besides Thanksgiving, when do you eat two pieces of pie in one day, one after the other? I mean, and full size, not the half or quarter slice, right? The whole deal. It was a great idea. At 2 this morning, actually like 1.52, it was a bad idea. Oh, brothers, this age is going to tell you it's a great idea. It's a deceitful lie. It's a terrible idea. This age is trying to conform you And we do well to remember what happens to this age. Remember what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Those who use the world, 1 Corinthians 7.31, those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, do not understand that the form of this world is passing away. This age is a dead age. And if we engage in it, it will only kill us. One well-quoted translator of this passage translates this section this way, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. That's good. That's what it's trying to do. And we cannot overestimate the power or the influence or the danger of this world system. What does a conformity to this world look like? One writer says it this way. 
Age carries with it the sense of beliefs, the philosophies, the methodologies, the strategies of the fallen world in which we live. And it's not just the world and its people in their fallen state. It is the worldviews and the practices that derive from the fallen state that define the age in which humans live at any time in history. When we think about the age of this world, it is, in a word, living and thinking like the world. It is having the world's belief system as our ideology. Friends, it's not just doing ungodly things. It's thinking in ungodly ways. Which is really important because in just a moment, he's going to tell us the way out is through the mind. The way in to false living is through the mind and the way out is through the mind. Conformity to the world is the believer's great danger. A number of years ago, one well-known pastor wrote this. Most of us recognize the danger of exposing ourselves to sinful content. So we tend to set arbitrary limits based on how much we think we can handle When a movie or a TV show presents us with mild or infrequent profanity or an occasional adulterous affair or a limited amount of gratuitous violence, we sort of weigh the danger level. We act as if we have a a sin threshold beyond which we dare not go. We might as well ask how much of a poison pill we can swallow before it kills us. How much poison? Do you want to take today? How much poison are you willing to take in and swallow? A few weeks ago, that same now former pastor wrote this on Instagram. A lady left a comment on one of my recent posts in which she stated that I'd swung from legalism to licentiousness in my life. And I thought about this and I can't disagree with her. She's not wrong. Sometimes I look at my life and the crazy things I post on Instagram and I hardly recognize myself. I am swinging and reacting and I am not in any type of respectable balance. Friends, he has openly embraced licentious, rebellious, disobedient living. The kind of profanity that you will find on his social media is appalling. He has divorced his wife. He has refused to talk about sexual fidelity and insinuates that he is living a wild sexual existence. He has rejected in public the name of Christ and says he does not believe the gospel. This from a man whose books we used to have in our bookstore. He has swallowed the poison pill. His philosophy is secular. His philosophy is worldly. And his life and his mind show it. He is an enemy of the cross. His life is ruined. And his soul is in grave danger. In his commentary on Romans, MacArthur says, The world is an instrument of Satan, and his ungodly influence is pandemic. That's an interesting word choice that he wrote 25 years ago. 
It's pandemic. It's insidious. And the world system, brothers and sisters, is far more deadly than anything COVID or any other pandemic can bring us. The story is told about President Coolidge many years ago, obviously, a century ago now, roughly. Went to church one Sunday morning, and when he came back from church, his wife met him at the White House and said, uh, asked him, what did the preacher talk about? Sin? What did he say? He was against it. (laughs) That's right. There's a reason that preachers are against sin. There's a reason why Scripture and God are against sin and ungodliness and worldliness. It will destroy our souls. Listen to what Peter says. Don taught on this just a few weeks ago. 1 Peter chapter 2. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. That's how to live in this world. Be an alien to this world. Be a stranger to this world. To abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. It's in a battle for your soul. This age, this age will keep us away from Christ. This age, this world, this way of thinking will keep us away from joy. You have stories, don't you? People you know, friends, family members who bought the lie of the age. Never ends well. Got an email. I've told this story before, but I got an email, I don't know, 10 years ago now. One of my two best friends in seminary. I hadn't heard from him in a while, so I just shot him an email and said, Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And he sent me an e- email back. And to paraphrase it, it said something like, My wife and I are not doing well. I was fighting against temptation for a long time and I gave up and I fell. His marriage is gone. His reputation is shot. I don't know if he actually did go to prison, but he was, tri- he was charged with an offense that would send him to prison. And he has been out of ministry ever since. He bought a lie. He bought a lie. Calvin was right. The earth must either be worthless in our estimation or keep us enslaved by an intemperate love of it. This world, this age is not neutral. Either you will fight against it or it will leave you, lead you away from Christ. It's not neutral. The earth must be worthless in our estimation or it will keep us enslaved. That's the obstacle to our transformation. Well, I was wondering as I was reviewing my notes yesterday, are you really going to finish? I don't think so. <laughs> Point number two. Let's talk about the nature of our transformation. The nature of our transformation. There's a better way to live. 
(laughs) And here's where I want you to see hope. There's a better way to live than conformity to the world. And the good news for the believer is that we can live in a new and redeemed way. In strongest terms, notice what the apostle says, do not be conformed to this world, but, but, rather than conformity, you don't have to live masquerading as something which you are not in your identity in Christ. There's a new and better way and live this way. What's the way that he advocates? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we think about the nature of transformation, I want you to recognize the command to be transformed. Recognize the command to be transformed. This word transformed is an interesting word. It's a word that you might, you might uh, translate metamorphosis. It's somewhat unusual. It appears only a handful of times in the New Testament. But interestingly, it, it is used twice, once by Matthew, once by Mark, to speak of the same event about the transfiguration of Christ. And in that image, we, we get something of a sense of what the apostle would have us understand by this word. When Jesus was transformed, it doesn't mean that he changed internally. Because internally, he always is, always was, always will be eternal, infinite God. Joined with, in hypostatic union to, genuine manhood. But he is always eternal God. And when he is transfigured, he doesn't become something he is not, or he doesn't become something he was not, but instead what he is is being opened up and revealed for all to see. In that moment, on that mountain, those men saw Christ far more clearly for what he is than they had ever seen him before that day. In the same way, When Paul uses that word, be transformed, he is insinuating again. Your identity is not in the world anymore. That identity has been changed. And you are to show forth the transformation that has taken place inside you. We are, are in a sense, like the butterfly letting out the spiritual reality of what we are out of its cocoon. Notice also... That as with the word, do not be conformed, this word is a command. We are responsible to be engaged in the process of sanctification. That command is also a present tense, which means it's something that is ongoing. There is a perpetual responsibility for the believer every day to fight for transformation into the likeness of Christ, to live out the reality of what He is. That's, that's what we call progressive sanctification, that every day we are increasingly becoming more like the reality of what we are internally but notice also it's a passive command that is it is something that happens to us be transformed as in someone outside of you is working the transformation in you and that's that's what we saw this morning that's why we read what we did in Romans chapter 8 right if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life 
to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Your life doesn't come from you. Your life comes from the Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 13, If you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. If you are, if you're living in submission to the Spirit of God, then the flesh will be crucified in you. It's His work. It's His transforming process. So the sense of the command is something like this. Submit yourself to the Spirit's work and do not resist what He will naturally do in you. Let yourself be changed by God. And He'll do just that. That's what His Spirit does. His Spirit changes us. So put the two phrases together and what do we have? Don't let the world influence you. And oh, brothers, do let the Spirit of God do what He's been given to you to do. You don't have to live this way anymore. You can live righteously. You can live transformed. The world doesn't have to influence you. If you're in Christ, you can say no. And yes to Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have not been saved to remain in our sin. We have been saved to be redeemed from our sin. And God is progressing, progressively freeing us from that sin right now. He's working in us now so that we can be changed. How can we be changed? Recognize the provision for being transformed. Notice what he says. But be transformed by the renewing of the mind. This is how we change. The key to your transformation is the mind. Now, when Paul uses the word mind, he doesn't just mean feed your intellect. He means feed everything that's inside you. Mind is used synonymously with all all kinds of other words that refer to the inner man, our heart, our soul, our spirit, our, our intellect, our thinking, our desires, our motives, our goals, our conscience. It's everything that makes us what we are internally. And Paul says, if we're gonna, if we're gonna be changed externally, what we need first is to be changed internally, for our minds to be changed, for us, for us to think in new ways. And Paul's already indicated the importance of the mind and the inner man in this letter, hasn't he? Remember what he says, chapter one? If we are rebellious against God, One of the ways He will judge us is by turning us over into worthless minds. Verse 28, chapter 1. As they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. He gave them over to a mind that's full of depravity, that no longer thinks rationally, reasonably, And it does all kinds of evil. And then in verses 29 to 32, 
he explains what all those kinds of evil are. We find the same kind of idea in Paul in Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. You can look that up this afternoon. But it just talks about how, how when we are not in Christ, before we come to Christ, our minds just no longer think rightly. And friends, if, if we're going to be freed from bondage to the world, it starts in the mind and the heart and the conscience in the inner man. We're not about, we're not just about changing behavior. Oh, we, we want to change behavior. If you're, if you're struggling in the way you speak to your wife and you're using unkind words and you're speaking harshly, not only do I come from a long line of people who are resistant to change, I come from a long line of, well, we always call it plain speakers. <laughs> you know what that means, don't you? It means an uncontrolled tongue. And when you speak that way, that's got to change. But it's only really going to change when the inner man is changed, when the heart is changed, when the desires change. The mind, the mind is critical to our sanctification. Friends, you can't stop, you can't, you can't keep thinking the way that you have thought when you were not in Christ and expect to change. It'll never happen. Oh, you can do a little behavior modification for a little while, but you'll never really change. If you want change, starts in the way you think. The Lord has given us a new mind when we come to Christ. He tells us in 1 Corinthians, we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that amazing? We have the mind of Christ. He's not only given us new thoughts to think, which He has in His Word, He's given us the capacity to think those things in the way that is befitting of our Savior and our brother, Jesus Christ. Our pattern of thinking is to be heavenly-minded, godly-minded. That's Colossians 3. That's why we read that passage this morning. Our goal as a church is to have a unified way of thinking in the body so that we all together are thinking in one way and moving as one body towards Christ-likeness. Ephesians 4, worldly minds and worldly thinking are futility. They lead to destruction. We are to and can actively engage in new ways of thinking. That's Ephesians 3. Godly thinking. We'll see this in a couple weeks. In in verse 3, godly thinking will keep us from pride. Prideful thinking is a sign of immature thinking. Listen, right thinking will change everything that we do. Paul could have, when he got to Romans chapter 12, he could have said, okay, let's dive in. I've got some things to talk about in light of what God has said about what you are in Christ. And let's think about how that fleshes out in ministry, okay? Let's think about your relationship in the church and how you're to use your spiritual gifts. And it would have made perfect sense to jump into spiritual gifts, That's where he's going to get in verse 3. But he doesn't do that. 
He says, your mind needs to be changed. If you're in Christ, you need to be all in in Christ. Your mind needs to be changed. Your life needs to be transformed. And let me tell you some ways it's going to be transformed. Your life will be transformed. That's verses 1 and 2 of Romans 12. Your life will be transformed in the way you think about your function in the church body. That's verses 3 to 8. Your, your life will be transformed as you think about relationships that you personally have with other believers. That's verses 9 to, 9 to 13. And your, your thinking will be changed as you think about people who persecute you, who are against you, who are opposed to you. That's verses uh, 14 to 21 in this chapter. Everything that he's going to say in this chapter is founded on these two verses. Our minds have to change the way we think. And it will change everything we do. Says Randy Alcorn, What's the most effective way to contaminate a water supply? Poison it at its source. If you don't guard your heart from the world's values, you'll be conformed to the world. It takes no more effort to be conformed to the world than it does to float downstream. To be transformed by the renewing of our minds is to swim upstream against the current. Renewing our minds requires conscious, deliberate effort. So, you've got to be transformed. That's what God saved you to do, to be transformed. And that's going to come by the renewing of the mind. How are our minds renewed? Now that's... That's the part of this that Paul doesn't talk about in this verse. He just says, let your mind be renewed. But we understand from the rest of Scripture, there's only one way to get your, your, your mind renewed. And how's that? I'm sorry, I heard a whisper over here. Washing by regeneration and then having been regenerated. How else do we renew the inner man? The Word of God. One person knows that. I know you know that. If you're going to be filled by the Spirit, you've got to be filled with the book. There's no other way. And the Scriptures are adequate to teach and mature every person. The Scriptures are adequate to do everything we need in every circumstance of our lives. If I need correction, it'll correct it. If I need reproving, it'll do that. If I need to be taught, it'll do that. If I need to be given hope, it'll do that. Everything I need to be righteous, the Scriptures will give me. That's 2 Timothy three, sixteen and 17. Sanctification comes by and through the Scriptures... Our Savior, in His high priestly prayer, said what? Sanctify them in the truth. Your occasional good ideas are truth. No, no, no. Your Word is truth. Sanctification comes by and through the Scriptures. Now, as I was thinking about that, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Now, let's... It's hard to think about what life is like in A.D. 63. But go back to Rome in A.D. 63 and think about how someone might be renewed by the Scriptures. 
Because I don't know how many Bibles you have at your house. I have no idea how many Bibles I have at my house. The last time I counted my office, and this was some time ago, I think I had 22 copies of the Bible in my office. And that doesn't include what's on my phone. That doesn't include what's on my Bible program. That, that, that's just, that's just physical Bibles. I mean, I'm surrounded by these things. Anytime I want to read it, it, I've got a copy. Anytime I want to hear it, all I got to do is hit a app on my phone and somebody's going to read it to me. Anytime I want to hear an explanation of it, I go to another app on my phone and somebody's going to preach me a sermon on it. There was none of that in the Roman church. So how did they get renewal by the scriptures? How were their minds changed? They went to worship and they heard it read. Don, you tried this on Zoom this morning and it went tough, didn't it? (laughs) Trying to help people memorize a verse over Zoom. But that's what they did. They heard the word read. And as they hear the word read in worship, they're memorizing it so that when they go home, it's in their minds and they're singing songs that are based on the scriptures. We have, we have the songbook that they used in the Bible times. Do you know, do you know that? It's the book of Psalms. That's the songbook. That's what they sang. And they memorized those songs. And when they memorized those songs, they had the word of God. And then they had conversations with people and said, Hey, when the rabbi said this, what do you think he meant? And they interacted with each other. Brothers and sisters, there's no shortcut. But we've been given so much. The means to having your mind renewed is this book. We cannot think about this book too much. But we can think about it too little. And that's the danger. Several years ago, a prominent pastor of a very good and healthy church took a survey of how many people read their Bibles in his church. It's a solid church. It's one of the few churches in this country that I might say, if I lived in that city, I'd go to that church. It was rock solid. And he wanted to find out how many people read their Bibles and how long they read their Bibles every day. He said, I'll never do that again. I have never been so discouraged at how little people take in the Word. That's in a solid church. And during COVID... I have no scientific data to prove this. All I have is the data of conversation and observation. But it seems to me that most of us are listening to Fox and CNN way more than we're listening to the Bible right now. And our ideology is being shaped much much more by Redbox and Netflix and Amazon Prime than it is by the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, you've got to turn it off. You've got to pick up this book. That's what's going to give you hope. That's what's going to change your mind. And we will be an impoverished people as long as we willingly take in the world more than we take in God's Word. You'll never be changed 
if you ignore this book. But if you pick up this book, it'll do some pretty amazing things. Call to transformation feels impossible sometimes, doesn't it? It does for me. I'm turning 58 in a few weeks. If you'd asked me at 18, what are you going to be like? What are the struggles going to be? I would have hoped that some of the things that are my struggle today would have been long in the rearview mirror. They're not. Some of you know that. Some of you have been the recipient of that. Even this week, I had to make a phone call. Ask a brother to forgive me. Because I just was undisciplined with my tongue. I wish it was behind me. But at the same time, the Lord does some pretty cool stuff, doesn't He? That's not a really good biblical word, but it's what He does. And we've seen it. We've seen Abraham believe. We've seen David and Solomon repent. We've seen Isaiah and Jeremiah endure. We've seen Peter become a rock. We've seen thunderous John, and I don't think that that was an affectionate term. We've seen thunderous John become the apostle of love. We've seen Paul who murdered believers become the most influential missionary and apostle that the church has ever known. And we've seen it closer to home, haven't we? We've seen angry people become loving people. We've seen despairing people become hopeful people. We've seen adultery redeemed and marriages saved. We've seen ungracious speakers become kind and gentle. We've seen covetous people become generous givers. We've seen defensive people become humble listeners. Listen, I have hundreds of stories. I wish I could tell them. But I've been here too long and they're all about you. (laughs) Can I tell you a secret? They're all good stories. I look at you. I've told this to some of you. I look at you and I look at your faces and I see across your forehead the word grace. Because God, God has brought transformation in astounding ways. So what do you think? I'm not asking your opinion on my sermon. I know you have one. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking... What do you think? Where's your mind? What are you focused on? What's going into your heart? What are you thinking and what are you meditating on? Where are you placing your hope? For what are you living? What's your goal? What's your desire? Be transformed, brothers, sisters, by the renewing of your mind and you will not be conformed to this world that is dying and that is our hope Father I thank you for 
this day. Thank you for this verse. How often we have looked at this verse, how often we have recited it in our minds, how often we have leaned on it for our own hope. And we have been so helped. And I thank you, Father, for how you have reminded us of that this morning. And we haven't even had an opportunity to see this morning the end of this verse where Paul unfolds just a few of the astounding benefits. I thank you, Father. Help us to see this world for what it is. And help us to see your word for what it is and your word for what it can do. Make us hopeful. And then, Father, change us. For we need your change. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.